Hello, everyone, and welcome into this episode of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today we are going to get into some quarterback talk. Some stuff's going down in the southern state of Texas, both teams having quarterback problems. We will get to that. We will also talk about the Lakers with Anthony Davis having a Achilles injury, looking like he's probably going to be out for a month. But first, I saw this story. It's probably a story that not a lot of people are going to talk about, probably because, you know, unless you really listen to like a hardcore basketball page or you listen to a hardcore like Phoenix Suns page or something or yeah, or, or you're really into G League content. So the Phoenix Suns have sent down their rookie forward, Jalen Smith, to the G League. The G League's having a bubble. I believe it's in Orlando where they uh, where they had the uh, playoff bubble last fall. But this is interesting because they drafted him, obviously, if you know, with the 10th pick in the draft. And... This is a thing that's happened. It happens in almost every sport. It happens in football. It happens in basketball. NBA titles can be swung and legacies can be changed based on decisions that no one at the time might even think is significant. When Phoenix made the trade for Chris Paul, the situation of the franchise and their expectations changed. They said, hey, it's time for us to take the next step. It's time for us to go to the playoffs, and it's time for us to potentially compete for an NBA championship. Phoenix has a really good team right now, a lot of young talent. They have Devin Booker, who's 24 years old. He's only 24. He's starting to enter his prime, a prolific scorer. DeAndre Ayton's in his third season. He's a seven-footer who's become a versatile defender who can handle switches, who is giving you about 13, 14 points a game, 12 rebounds, doing a really good job uh, down low for Phoenix. He can also handle the size of someone like a Rudy Gobert or a Nikola Jokic if you get into that playoff series, or even if you get into the finals and you might potentially have to play Joel Embiid. Mikal Bridges and Cam Johnson, later lottery picks. Those They hit home runs on those guys. Those guys are really good. Cam Johnson looked like a reach. Really good pick for them. They're both really good players. They're they're three and D guys, even though they do more than that. They're like a three and D plus. And they have Chris Paul, who's 35, 36. He's still an all-star level point guard. There's a good chance he'll make the all-star game this year. And he's helped elevate this team to a Western Conference contender. And if you really look up and down the roster, they got some depth. They got some good players coming off the bench. They match up pretty well against a lot of the teams in the West. But this is going back to the main point. Sometimes NBA titles and legacies can be changed based on these little moves that no one suspects. If the Suns drafted Tyrese Halliburton, who that wouldn't have been an out that wouldn't have been a crazy pick, by the way. They needed more guard depth. Like that's the one spot on their team right now that's weak. If they would have drafted Tyrese Halliburton, I could make the argument right now that they would be the clear number two team in the West behind the Lakers. And who knows what's going to happen with this Anthony Davis injury, if it's going to persist, if it's going to be a nagging thing for the entire season, if he's going to have to miss more time than just a month. 
that could it be the difference between Phoenix getting knocked out in the second round and potentially stealing a title? Here's some Tyrese Halliburton stats. By the way, they reached for Jalen Johnson. Tyrese Halliburton was slipping in that draft. It, it was outrageous he didn't go at eight or seven. Tyrese Halliburton for the Sacramento Kings is averaging 12.5 points. He's mostly coming off the bench, by the way. Five assists, 5.3 assists, shooting 50% from the field and 45% from three. And if you watch him, he's a really good team defender, knows where to be, he's really smart. And if they would have drafted him, you could make the argument that the Suns would have three guards, Booker, Paul, Halliburton, that I'm not sure if there would be a better group of three guards in a rotation in the league. If anything, they'd be able to match up with a lot of guys. Like, I don't know, maybe Portland's could be up there. There's a few others. But if you're looking at the future of this team, and I, it, it's you kind of understand the thing of the Jalen Smith pick, but you have Frank Kaminsky that's playing that role for you. And you could also make the argument, hey, well, we draft, we traded for Chris Paul. Well, we didn't need to draft a guard in the lottery because he's not going to be playing as big of a role because we have Chris Paul. Well, I mean, Jalen Smith's not going to be starting or anything for you guys, so I don't understand that logic. But even if you just look into the future of this team, the future of it, what's this team going to look like in four years, three years, five years? Chris Paul is 35, 36 years old this season. He isn't going to be in Phoenix when Devin Booker's 29. They could have had their backcourt for the next eight years. And if you don't know anything about Tyrese Halliburton, I watched him more than I did any other rookie in college. He's like the perfect teammate. He can play off ball. He can play on ball. He's unselfish. He plays tough. He's a great locker room guy he's not going to worry about not getting touches he's like like if you could have a team if you could have an imaginary team or make up a roster of guys that will fit anywhere you know clay thompson would be like the captain maybe nicole Jokic should be on it maybe he wouldn't i don't know but tyrese halberton i don't know if he'd be a starter or a bench guy he'd be on that team he can play on any team you can plug him in on any single team in the nba right now and he will fit and you can't say that about a lot of guys and maybe it's just a Phoenix thing, because even if you go back into the 2000s when they had these run-and-gun Steve Nash teams, eight sec seven seconds or less, they had a few horrible decisions early on in there that if they execute those a little better, the Phoenix Suns might have titles right now. We might look at Steve Nash way differently than we do now. They traded Joe Johnson when they didn't have to. And he would have been a perfect fit next to Nash, Stoudemire, Marion. They also traded the pick that was Lou Aldang, and nothing really came of that. That was a, another one that would have been a really good guy to put on that team. Look, up, Go back and look at early Lou Aldang. Really good 3 and D guy, good defender. And even if you look at Phoenix through the past 10 drafts, and Sarver... You can look up an uh, article. I believe there's a big article on ESPN about how he's just a terrible owner, and it's very it was very dysfunctional there, and you could kind of tell for years with that team. But if you look at Phoenix, yes, they found Booker. 
They got Bridges from Philadelphia, which was a steal, a huge steal. Cam Johnson, they got later in the lottery. Again, it was a reach at the time, but it's they hit on it. A lot of teams that probably drafted behind Phoenix that year are probably looking at that and like, damn, I wish he would have fell to us because he's a really good player. But they also missed on Dragon Bender. It's a top five pick. Josh Jackson. Josh, Josh Jackson. Sorry, couldn't say that. Alex Len. And now, and there's still holdout hope for him. He's barely played. He's 20 years old. But now maybe Jalen Smith, who was, again, it was a reach to draft him at 10. They also lost TJ Warren for nothing. What, what was their compensation back for TJ Warren? Nothing. And if this team makes a legit playoff run in the West and they just come up slightly short, just like a lot of the other Chris Paul teams and just like a lot of the other Phoenix teams, they aren't going to have anyone to blame but themselves. Coming up next, why quarterbacks in Texas might be playing musical chairs after the break. Okay, and we are back. So, I saw this yesterday. As we know, both the Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Texans are both having some quarterback troubles. The Cowboys are in flux with Dak Prescott. They've been trying to negotiate a long-term contract, an extension. Since the 2019 offseason, as I've covered multiple times on this podcast, Deshaun Watson wants a trade out of Houston. And I saw this on GetUp, this former NFL GM, Mike Tannenbaum. He said that there is a potential that the Cowboys and the Houston Texans would swap Watson and Dak straight up. Obviously, it would be a sign-in trade. Logic in that being, hey, it solves both of their problems. Texans get rid of this Watson thing. They get Dak on a long-term contract, and they get, and the Cowboys obviously get Deshaun Watson. Who says no? Uh, how about the team getting rid of the way better quarterback? And I guess it depends how much you value Deshaun Watson, and if the Texans for some reason valued. Dak Prescott equal to Deshaun Watson or slightly less than I could see that. But I was thinking about this even before I started recording, right before I started recording this segment about the Matt Stafford trade again and how he got two first round picks and everyone says, oh, well, you know, don't say that that trade affects the Deshaun Watson trade. But I was thinking about that here for a second. Just, just thinking about value. We are just talking about value because that's been my big selling point. If you're the team that is getting rid of the top five quarterback that's 25 years old, what is a reasonable asking price back? Is it three first-round picks? I don't think so. I'd want more. And with Stafford going for two first-round picks, obviously older than Deshaun Watson, I can make the argument that what Deshaun Watson's done in Houston the last few years with the dysfunction with the coach, I don't th- uh, the front office, the team, the lack of protection from the offensive line, 
at times the lack of weapons, especially this year without DeAndre Hopkins. I could argue that he was in a far more, maybe not far more, but a more dysfunctional, uh, way more harder-to-win situation than Stafford ever was in Detroit, or at least Stafford's best three Detroit years. And Watson did better in this short amount of time. And I also saw this today that Pro Football Focus, a big stat place for football, they came out with this ranking of Deshaun Watson's season in 2020, which I don't agree with, but they figured out a way to make the analytics, the numbers say this, that Deshaun Watson had one of the best seasons, or actually the best season, of any quarterback in the past 15 years, if you're taking into effect the weapons, the line, the coaching, all, all that stuff, the everything that goes into it. He said he had the number one season out of any quarterback the last 15 years. And if you're going to try and swap that guy for Dak Prescott, go and look at Dak Prescott's resume and take out that first year. Take out that first year because other than that, it's kind of a lot of, and you're like, oh, well, they made the playoffs this year. Oh, you know, they, they kind of fell short. Oh, it's kind of, uh, it's 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 floating around between eight and ten wins. And that's with him making no money. So, of course, if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, when I first heard that rumor, Deshaun, for Dak, it actually kind of made my eyebrows raise a little bit. Not because of the straight swap, because I thought it was probably going to be, we'll swap you Deshaun for Dak, and we'll give you three first-round picks with Dak so that you could sell that with Dak and be like, well, Dak, you're going to Houston. Yes, everything is horrible there. Nothing is good there. But you're coming with three first-round picks that is going to be used as compensation. You already have a left tackle. There's some pieces in Houston. Houston's not unsalvageable. It just depends if the person running the front office is actually going to make the appropriate decisions and make the team better, and if they're capable. Also, another reason this trade would never happen, I don't think people understand. It would be like, it would be like if this situation, I'm trying to give a scenario that would make sense to other people, because I, I don't think if you're familiar with the in-state dynamics of the two teams, the Houston and Dallas, they don't like each other, and it's kind of like a weird hate where it's not like they're rivals, like they're in division, but it's kind of like they like to talk behind each other's backs and say how the other ones suck. They just don't like each other. So the idea of a Houston-Dallas trade, even like the Sean Watson trade, whatever it is, it's going to be the most talked about trade, like one of the top three in NFL history for the next like 50 years. That, Herschel Walker, and I don't know what else. Maybe another trade that comes up. But they're not trading in-state for that. Because if the Cowboys do take Deshaun Watson and they go out and be successful, and then Dak goes to the Texans and it's a train wreck and he sucks and his career's pretty much over after that contract's done, that'll be like the most talked about trade in Texas football history. Probably past Herschel Walker. But I was thinking about this stuff with Dak because the scenario here is with him. Do you sign him? Because you're gonna have to if you're gonna sign him, you're gonna pay him this huge money. That's kind of the, that, that 
if they were going to give him pay him cheaper than this huge money, it would have happened already. They're holding out for huge money. So I've thought about this and I've kind of went back and forth because part of it is like, all right, you can sign him and you're probably, you're, you're in salary. You, you made a bunch of other bad cap decisions and it's not fair to Dak. It's like, hey, we made four other bad decisions. That's why you have to take a discount because we messed up. Like, that's not fair. With Dallas and Dak, what's your ceiling? And I heard this argument today. Well, you signed Dak. Look at the putrid division. You got the Eagles, who are just a mess. You have the Giants, who eh. And you have the Washington football team that doesn't have a quarterback. If you sign Dak, hey, you might win the division three straight years. You're also forgetting it's the Cowboys and something's always going to go wrong. And that's just, that's just not how it's going to go. And I could also make the argument, too, if Washington football team gets a quarterback... They're winning the division the next three years. If Daniel Jones actually becomes good, the Giants are winning the division the next three years. Or if they upgrade their quarterback. So I actually don't think that's logical of an argument, especially when you're paying Dak $40 million and you have a bunch of other bad contracts, so you're going to have to nail the draft. But I thought about this, and especially because I saw this today. I'll get to the, the thing I saw here in a minute. The quarterback market, we think the quarterback market right now is crazy. And this is a big if. It's a huge if. If Deshaun Watson, let's say, gets traded to, I don't know, he he gets traded to a team that might be in position to win. And Carson Wentz gets traded to a team, he gets traded to the Bears and the Bears are actually good. And Matt Stafford in Los Angeles is really good. And Brady's good again. We are going to see a domino effect. So let's play out those scenarios. Let's say Deshaun Watson goes to Miami. Miami's in the AFC Championship game. Brady's back in the NFC Championship game. And the Rams are in the NFC Championship game. If that happens, other quarterbacks in the NFL are going to see that. And they are going to ask their way out. As we already know, Aaron Rodgers has kind of had some weird comments and Russell Wilson's had some weird comments and I saw this today Russell will Mike Florio NFL reporter said Russell Wilson might have his eye on the Dallas Cowboys so with that being said could you franchise tag Dak this year and maybe maybe the team is good maybe the division isn't a mess for another year and maybe you guys are legit division winners and you might win a playoff game and that's it and that's your that's your ceiling if you're Dallas you're not getting any farther than that that's your best case scenario for the Cowboys but you could be going into the 2022 offseason still not have any long-term money connect uh to Dak you could take him off the franchise tag and be done with him and you could potentially be in this quarterback market for Russell Wilson. You wouldn't be able to get Aaron Rodgers because unless you fire McCarthy because that Rodgers isn't going to play with McCarthy again. But I think there's a chance that the 2022 veteran quarterback market might be better than the 2021 one. Because what's the quarterback market this year? Deshaun Watson, Stafford, 
Rodgers, Wilson. And as we know from Jerry Jones, he's a risk taker. And when he decides to take a risk, he goes all in. So could there be a chance that, and I was even thinking about this with the Deshaun Watson potential trade, because that's what I thought. I thought it was Dak and picks for Deshaun Watson, not, not one for one. That just seems dumb. That seems idiotic if you're the Texans. So could Jerry Jones potentially just give a first? Because I haven't seen anyone anywhere with reports or leaks say, like, the Colts are willing to give up five first-round picks or the Bears are willing to give up five first-round picks or the Broncos are willing to give up five first-round picks or the 49ers, five first-round picks. Could Jerry Jones just jump all in and say, Seattle, we'll give you our next five first-round picks for Russell Wilson? Especially if Russell Wilson requests a trade because things aren't going well there. And that could be a bunch of different things of what happens there. Maybe Russell Wilson gets more input this offseason. Maybe he's happier going into next offseason. Maybe they fire Pete Carroll and that makes him happier. But if I'm the Cowboys, why sign Dak when you don't have to? You can franchise tag him again. Not like you're competing for a Super Bowl or anything. And especially in a year from now, when you could potentially have a huge significant upgrade and have the third best quarterback or potentially one or two best quarterback in your franchise history. Something to think about. Something to think about. Coming up next, why the Lakers' title hopes might be in jeopardy after the break. Okay, and we are back. So... If you were watching any basketball or listening to any news about basketball the last few days, you know that Sunday night, Anthony Davis re-aggravated a lower leg injury against Denver. It was confirmed with an MRI that Davis suffered a calf strain. He'll be reevaluated in two to three weeks. He won't return before the All-Star break that starts March 5th. Pretty much means that he will miss a month because he's not going to play in the All-Star game if he's missing three weeks. He's already missed five games this season. His numbers have been subpar of where you actually expect Anthony Davis's numbers to be all around. Uh, some His free throw percentage is a little shockingly low. It's also a short sample size, so make what you want of it. If you read more about what Davis felt going into the game Sunday, he said he felt fine. He thought the training staff did a good job, and the training staff said he was fine and ready to go. He didn't feel any pain. Now, if you're the Lakers, if you're LeBron James, there are reasons for concern here, and there's also reasons not to panic. The reasons to panic a little bit here is the Lakers need to take the long view on this. They need to look at the long-term goal here. Not just the long-term goal for this season, but you just signed a player in Anthony Davis to a five-year max deal. So if you rush him back, something happens there. And the reason this 
The reason this is news, I don't think this would be news if we didn't hear the Achilles. The Achilles is the the thing here that we are seeing there, and we're seeing a strained Achilles or a sprained Achilles, which I never knew that could actually happen. I thought it was just kind of like this sleeping like a grenade in the back of your heel that just could just pop at any minute. Rarely happens, very, very rare. But I didn't know you could actually like strain it and there's ways to, which I guess you, it makes sense. But you have to look at the long view here if you're the Lakers. You sign him to a five-year max deal. If you rush him back, let's say that Achilles snaps, which would be the worst case scenario. You're out with Davis this season, and you're probably out with him next season. So that's two years on this max. That would be... And then who knows what would happen even if he came back from that. Most people that come back from Achilles aren't the same player. And it's really weird, too, when we look at... I'm just talking about not from my perspective, but I think for some people's perspective, when we see these athletes and we see how much they're making, I think a lot of people are like, wait a minute, why aren't they playing every game? Why aren't they doing all of these extra things? Why Why do they sit out? And it makes sense. It's like you're making this much money. Go and play. But you also have to understand it's this point from the franchise's point of view where it's like we have, like Anthony Davis, we have over $200 million of our money put into this asset. So we are not going to overwork this asset and potentially damage it for the future, which makes sense. So it's this weird thing where I don't think both sides like really even see what the other side is talking about, what they're thinking, what they're looking at. Here is what is, if you're the Lakers, here's what's not concerning about it. It's February, and the finals aren't going to start until July, so the playoffs probably won't start until May, I believe. I think we're kind of like a month behind, if my memory's correct, on how the season's working this year. So if he comes back, if he sits off for for a month, there's the all-star break too, so that's pretty much free time off where you're not playing games. If you're the Lakers, you're just thinking about the postseason. You already had a rapport. LeBron and a lot of these teammates already have a rapport with Davis. He'll slide back in, and everything will be just fine when he comes back. The scary thing here is if this keeps happening and if, like, it was this weird thing with Kevin Durant where he had this calf strain. And when he first injured it, it looked like, oh, crap, is that an Achilles? But then it's like, oh, no, 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 it's a calf strain. And then he ends up coming back. And then literally, like, 10 minutes into him being back in the NBA Finals, it snaps. And that's the scary thing here with Anthony Davis. Is that just a looming factor that is just ready to detonate? And... I want to talk about another picture here. It's too early to have our MVP conversations. It's too early for us to talk about the NBA MVP. It's very early. But this injury can really impact the MVP race. Because LeBron James, the story's already there. The Lakers probably will keep winning decently without Anthony Davis. And Kevin Durant's not going to win it. Luka Doncic isn't going to win it. Steph Curry's not going to win it. It's kind of LeBron and Embiid. And Embiid's having a historic season. He's having one of those seasons where we'll look back and we'll compare that. This this, this 2021 
Embiid season. We'll compare it to a Shaq season. We'll compare it to a David Robinson season. We'll compare it to a Kakeem Olajuwon season. We'll compare it to a Patrick Ewing season. He's been that good this year. Historically, he's up there with those guys right now, based just based off this season. But if you're LeBron James and the Lakers and the MVP, him taking this team that might be, if they're, if they're still top one, top two, and Davis misses 40% of the season, let's say, only plays like high 40s, low 50s in game total, that's like probably the best argument that LeBron James has had for winning an MVP since, I don't know, the Miami Heat days. Especially with no true contend, other like big time contender for an MVP that would be around him, I think it will probably still be Embiid. I think it'll be really hard for people to give it to LeBron James. But Davis being out, that's going to be the factor that is going to be the biggest, I believe, in LeBron James winning an MVP. And it's really weird because we're going to go back and people are going to go back and pick apart stats, which we always do. Where LeBron James will we'll go back and look at this season and we'll be kind of scratching our heads where we're like, wait a minute, this is like statistically, I don't know if you could even, like LeBron's been excellent. He's going to be first team all NBA. You could probably pick it apart and say, well, wait a second. Is this even one of LeBron's like top like eight best seasons that he's ever had statistically? Is it? And it's just amazing that he might actually win MVP when it's not even one of the better seasons in his career. Because usually when you win MVP, it's like your peak. You, your peak. Your peak physically, your peak mentally, your peak of your team. And for even LeBron, too, to win a league MVP, which would be, would it be 12 years apart? That's just incredible. That's just incredible. It's another thing that's going to add to the legacy it's another thing that they can write on the resume that's like 10 pages long by now. It'll probably be 15 pages long by the time he's done. Just truly incredible. Truly incredible. So watch out for that. Look for that narrative with the Lakers and the MVP. The Lakers, they need... I think they'll be fine on scoring. They really need... The biggest thing with Davis, with him being out, is they're really going to need to find defense, especially rim protection, because... Dwight and JaVale, maybe not the best like one-on-one defenders in the post, but they were willing to jump at everything. They're willing to go and get rebounds. Marcus is just not that athletic. He's still a really smart player. He knows where to be. He's actually given them a little bit more of a, another dimension on offense, even though his numbers aren't even that good. Kyle Kuzma's gotten a lot better. But Montrez Harrell and like LeBron James, who's in his 18th season... And Markeith Morris, he's just, I don't know, maybe he's just uh, kind of washed because he was a really key factor for them last year, especially in the bubble. But Mar- Montrez Harrell and Marcus Saul being your rim protectors for a month without Anthony Davis, that's a little concerning. But I think the Lakers will figure it out. I think they'll be just fine. The Jazz, if they keep surging, I, I think the sooner or later the Jazz will come back down to earth. So we'll see. Something to monitor. LeBron James, it's Anthony Davis injury. Bad for the Lakers. Good for LeBron James's MVP case. All right. Thank you guys for listening. I think that's going to do it for the podcast today. So uh, 
you know, please go listen to old podcasts if you want to. Please go follow on Twitter and Instagram at JWS Detective. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. And as always, I will see you next time.